Black back with you. Sports Huddle continues on a Friday afternoon as we get you into your weekend, your sports weekend, and it certainly has already begun, particularly for fans of the Washington Commanders. Let's continue our conversation on that subject. We are a couple of hours removed from the introductory press conference at FedEx of Josh Harris and his ownership group. So what better source to go to than our friends at the Washington Post? And we turn to a guy who has been a regular contributor to our program, and that's Neil Greenberg, who joins us this afternoon. You can follow him at N Greenberg on Twitter, WashingtonPost.com slash sports. For his stories and his articles, and Neil, just to give our audience a little bit of a background, we lined you up a little bit earlier in the week before this happened yesterday to talk about your very detailed and entailed story about the running back situation in the National Football League. And we will eventually get to that, I promise. But I think we'd be remiss if we didn't start with the uh, commander's story and the commander's news today. So thank you for joining us this afternoon, Neil. I'm glad to be here. It's uh, quite a day for fans in the DMV area. Well, let's speak to that. And Josh Harris, I thought, did a really good job today. You know, some of that was window dressing. Commanders haven't been real good at that in the past, and I thought they were for the most part this afternoon. But he made it very clear, a couple of things, Neil, for you to comment on here. One is patience, that people have to be patient. Super Bowl number 4 isn't coming to D.C. this year in all likelihood. And then he had a three-point plan that said, here are our priorities. Win have a good fan experience in the stadium that we have now, and get out in the community. Your thoughts on how he handled kind of his prioritizing of what they need to do as a new ownership group? Um, I thought it was great. I thought he said all the right things. Obviously, winning uh, makes everything else easier, makes everything else more palatable. Um, But I also think he positioned himself as the anti-Dan Snyder. Um, and I think that started yesterday at some of the events around um, D.C. and Virginia where, you know, he, he bought the the people at the events drinks and just really tried to convey that this wasn't going to be business as usual. Um, that speaks to the fan experience. I think the fan experience in um, in the current stadium is very poor, um, especially when you're talking about a cold weather sport being so far from public transportation um, and the parking situation being expensive, um, not even talking about the product on the field itself. Um, and then, of course, the community. I mean, being a part of the community is is huge. And, um, you know, I think detailing those three things was was what he needed to do and also – um, I feel like it kind of distanced himself and the ownership group from the fourth thing, which is on, which is almost maybe second priority to to the win now. Which is, you know, what's the team name going to be? A lot of there's a lot of uh, a lot of support for another change of the team name. Um, he didn't rule it out. No, none of the owner, none of the the ownership group did today. Um, but you can definitely tell that it's probably a distant fourth if we're talking about the three main topics he brought up. Yeah, I thought it was a much lower priority. He sidestepped it as much as he can. I know Magic had said, you know, everything's on the table. He answered it probably a little bit more directly in the Today Show interview this morning on NBC. But um, I was just reading through some of your more recent tweets, honestly, within the last hour or so, and I think you're of the same ilk that you better be patient here because it's not going to happen necessarily right away. It may not be a long-term 
process. I know that word got used today because of Josh Harris's connection with the Philadelphia 76ers. What do you think along those lines as far as a timetable for, you know, consistently being a playoff team and winning and really Ron Rivera's role in all of that down the road? Well, I don't think Ron Rivera has a role down the road. I think that this is it. I I just I personally don't see him as being the type of coach that is in John Harris's organizations. I mean, you look at um, you know the Philadelphia Sixers, especially um, having Daryl Morey as president of the operations there. He's kind of at the forefront of basketball analytics, um, I believe, along with Dean Oliver and. Um, you know, Pomeroy, um, and I think that we're starting to see that with the Devils as well. The Devils kind of position themselves as an analytic franchise whose window is just about to be open for the next couple of years. Um, so I just never got the impression that Ron Rivera um, embraces analytics to the extent that uh, a Harris-owned team does. Um, and I also don't think the results are there to really uh, bolster any claim for for continued tenure. Um, but this is a, this is an interesting time because you know you have a defense that's pretty good, you have an offense that's very much up in the air, and no idea what you have a quarterback. Right? I mean, Sam Howell could be very good. He can also be very bad, um, and we'll probably see both at some point during the season. Um, so it really comes down to: can you be bad enough to get a shot at a franchise quarterback, which typically is a very high pick in the first round? Um, and to do that, you need to win two, three, four games during the season. And I just don't see that happening this year with Ron Rivera trying at least to make a case to to remain employed or at the very least auditioning for, you know, the other 31 teams that, that are out there. Um, so I think if Sam Howell is not the guy, then, you know, you need a season of losing to, to have a shot at the guy. Then you got to hope the guy is the guy, and you got to develop the guy into the guy. <laughs> so I just think that there's a, a lot, like you said, a lot of patience that needs to be used here because I think it could be a multi-year process at, uh, the, you, at the best case scenario. You as normal, Neil, did a good job with your analytics, even in the, the short format that you would have on Twitter when you talked about what it would take to get a top three pick and the records that you would need to have certainly which wouldn't fly with the commander fan base they would want more wins than that i think it's likely they would get more than as you said two three or four wins in a season so that might drive them in a different direction with a coach and a quarterback wouldn't it yeah and and it really comes down to how do you how do you balance how do you balance that right i mean you Mm -hmm. have a new ownership that comes in um, I don't think you need years of of tanking like you might in in the NBA to to get a um, a competitive franchise up and running, especially not with the defense that Washington has. But you know how long can that defense remain very good to to very very good? Um, you know we we'll probably talk about this with the running backs. You know the, the shelf life of NFL players is not long. You know the peak performance is generally before the age of thirty. Um, across almost all the the, um, the positions, so you know you have a lot of these defensive linemen um, locked up for the next couple of years. But you know they they probably reach their peak already. That does, that doesn't mean they won't be good. But to to expect like tremendous improvement, probably asking a lot. Um, so you know how do you get the franchise quarterback in the draft that you need? That means that you probably need to be really lucky. 
um, getting them, you know, lower in the first round or, or on day two. Um, you know, you certainly don't want to trade up because to trade up for a franchise quarterback would be very expensive. Not something I really see a Josh Harris team doing. Um, so there's a lot of unknowns here. That's why I think, you know, this process is going to be a little bit longer because you need to figure out all this stuff and figure out what is the quickest way to contention. Um, but I really do believe that all flows through the quarterback position. Neil Greenberg from the Washington Post visiting with us. A couple more on the commanders, and we'll finish up on your your article earlier in the week on, on the running back situation across the NFL. What do you think the impact of having Magic Johnson as a part of this group is? Uh, we played for our audience in our first segment. You know, his powerful soundbite about, I came here to win. I wasn't going to, you know, all of all of that, 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 you know, only Magic can do, and it, and it resonates with people, and just what his role in this ownership group will be. Well, it looks like it's a very front-facing role, mm-hmm. and it's he's perfect for it, right? I mean, you're you're never going to turn down an opportunity to talk to Magic Johnson. You're not going to. I don't believe you'd see the media in an antagonistic relationship with Magic Johnson. And I think that he he does have a lot of ties here to the to the D.C. area um, from from a business standpoint, and, and he kind of outlined some of those on Twitter the other day. Um, so I think it's 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 it was a coup. I mean, it was just perfect um, to be able to get him as part of the ownership group and and also have him be available to to talk to fans and and media outlets. Um, so I think that uh, it's perfect and um, maybe even extends the honeymoon period because I know I'm not yelling at Magic Johnson and I don't know if, <laughs> if fans would be willing to yell at him either. No, I would, I would agree with that. We're we're smart there, no doubt about it. Hey, lastly on this on this front, and as I said, they did a nice job today, and they had all those former players right up front and center. A couple of current players front and center. One of those who was front and center was Joe Gibbs. Uh, do you think he has any role in you know the rejuvenation of the Washington franchise officially moving forward? Uh, I don't. I think he's more of an ambassador or a liaison mm-hmm. than anything, but. It's it speaks volumes, I think, because you know you look at obviously Joe Gibbs' tenure with the franchise. Um, then he had that stint in coaching under Dan Snyder, and um, then he kind of just faded away a little bit. He went back to, to NASCAR, and we didn't really hear too much of him in regards to the Washington Pro Football Team until the Harris Group um, started to to gain some momentum. Um, so I think that it's. It's also part of you know bringing these these you know the legendary players of the franchise back into the fold. I mean, you know, under under Dan Snyder, it was always here are the Super Bowl trophies that were won when I wasn't here. <laughs> um, but now it's hey fans, you know we we're embracing the past. Here are all your favorite players, and um, you know I think that that's that's smart, mm-hmm. and to have. You know, Joe Gibbs as a part of that, with all he represents in this organization, all the winning, all the you know, those are his championships. Um, I think uh, um, is is great. I think it's great for the fans. I think it's great for the organization, and I think it's great for football because you want that connection um, with the with the fan base, and you and you want them to be able to um, you know feel a connection with the team outside of you know, just the poor performance that they've been subjected to over the past 
two-something decades. Yeah, 24 years. Not that anybody's counting, but, yeah, tw- 24 years for sure. Uh, by the time Josh Harris and Magic get around to having to sign and pay a running back, What's the landscape going to look like there? Let's get to your article from earlier in the week, the whole Saquon Barkley controversy, the whole NFL kind of controversy, the running backs up in arms, not getting paid what it's worth. Uh, You and a lot of other people have plenty of analytics that say they really are kind of interchangeable, don't you? Yeah, here's the thing. Anyone that's surprised about what went down this week with the with the three main quarterbacks in terms of their contracts just haven't been paying attention. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, there has been – a contract or two to doled out over the past couple of years. But by and large, the running back position has morphed from one guy that does it all to a committee. And when you have a committee that's able to to produce very closely to what one person will produce, it becomes cheaper. Um, we're seeing that in the, in the overall franchise tag values. Um, we're seeing that in the overall money allocated to the position. And... You know, to be surprised by that, to me, is what's most surprising. Um, and also where, you know, analytics are now more ingrained in all sports than they've ever been, and that includes football. And it's very easy to look at, you know, the, these aging curves of running backs to see how productive they are at 21, 22, 23, 24, you know, 25 years of age, and then, you know, start to see the decline and see these running backs on the market at 26, 27, 28 years old you know, demanding money, but you have to pay players for what you think they are going to do, not what they have done. And, you know, the way the, the, the structure is set up, the, the running back's prime is very early, like 22 to 25 years old, right around the time they're in, what, year three or four of their, you know, first contract. So, you know, they can be high, high performers, but I think everyone now knows that the second contract is where you can get in a lot of trouble in terms of overpaying for production, and teams don't want to do that anymore. And um, that's why we're seeing so many restructuring. That's why we're seeing, um, you know, so many cuts and, and things like that. These of these marquee names that were, you know, paramount on fantasy football teams just a year or two ago, but um, the aging curve hits the running backs hard. Mm-hmm. And if you can spend half as much and get 90% of the production, then, you know, it's certainly worth doing that from a financial standpoint. Neil, lastly, any inkling on how you think this plays out? And I'm, I'm going to point to Barkley because I think he's, you know, the headliner in the spotlight. And as you said, there are three running backs in similar situations, but he's getting the most headlines, probably has the most talent at this point moving forward, uh, and how this impacts the Giants. And what might happen come by opening day for Saquon Barkley? Um, I think it'd be foolish to, to sit out because if you're not willing to pay a 26-year-old running back, you're probably not going to be willing to pay a 28-year-old running mm-hmm. back. Yeah. So, you know, if he sits out, it's just a year loss for him. Um, I think the better strategy for running backs in general, if they have a productive first year or a productive second year, that's the time to hold out and try to get as much money as you can because – I think it's pretty clear right now the second contract for running backs won't be nearly as lucrative as the first. So I think all the leverage now is in year one or year two, not in you know year five, six, or seven when um, everyone has already kind of gone with the notion that you're past your prime. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Good stuff. Neil, as always, thank you very much. Appreciate all your perspective and thoughts on the commander's story from the last 24 hours and on the running backs. And we'll look forward to catching up with you as we get towards the NFL season and other sports topics as well. Always appreciate your time, Neil. Thank you. Talk to you soon. You got it. Neil Greenberg from the Washington Post on a variety of topics. Most importantly today, the Washington Commanders and the new ownership group there. Uh, we'll talk more about the, the running back situation, man. He made a lot of sense on that as well. All right, let's get a break in here. About 435 on the Sports Huddle. We got some more sound bites for you coming up. We'll do some of that. Get into a couple other things as well. Thanks for tuning us in on a Friday afternoon, 1061 ESPN.